Hi, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of Influencing Safety with Bill Martin, the president and CEO of Think Tank Project, LLC. I'm Kate Wade, the editor of Incident Prevention Magazine and your host for this podcast. In this episode, Bill and I will discuss the many ways leaders influence workers and the culture of safety in their organizations, including where we're getting it right and where we can improve. So let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast, Bill. Hi, Kate. Thanks. This is, uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun ride. I don't know where it's going, but it's been fun. I know. I agree. Um, and thank you for being back with us, as always. Um, so we've been doing this whole series on leadership and leadership influence. Um, can we start with a simple question to just kind of ease our way into the conversation? Um, do you want to define leadership and kind of talk about what we've covered in the past Um four podcast uh, installments, and then kind of get into things from there? Um, I I think so. That was a lot for me to 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 process. But, uh, <laughs> it's a lot for me to process. So, 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 so this, I mean, I'm really interested in, in this. It was really good of you guys to involve me in this. Um, it's, it's helped me immensely. Uh, and I hope we help some other people to realize that, that we can have the best system, the best process, or even the best information. Um, but how you influence safety determines whether it's you, the uh, the workforce can apply it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, uh, hop principles are I, I love the hop principles and they resonate with me. But if we don't create a tactic or a strategy to apply them at the sharp end, they will resonate with the sharp end. But when they go back to work on Monday, you don't see a lot of change. Um, which is also, if you look at the statistics, the Department of Labor statistics. There isn't hasn't been much change in the last ten years between uh, serious injuries and fatalities. Mm-hmm. So that kind of kind of puts the onus on us. What is it? I mean, all these things are really good. Would they work? Of course they'll work, but they only work if we can figure out how to get them to influence the place where they need to work. Right? Correct. Yeah. Um, so so you know we talked about trust. Um, how that's oxytocin. Actually, it's a hormone. They have to listen to number one or two to really get that. Um, the podcast we did. And then emotional intelligence, there's all these little, I call it the three-legged stool, right? Trust, psychological safety, and emotional intelligence. Those three things have to balance at some level in order for you to be stable. And then there's all these things around the periphery of whether we are really influencing our workforce to ch- to, to change a behavior or not. And, and of course, we know that's difficult. I mean, they wrote uh, cigarette smoking will cause cancer on cigarette packs, and it doesn't really influence people not to smoke. Right, so sometimes the obvious um, isn't really as isn't really it, it, obvious that you shouldn't smoke, but it doesn't mean you're not going to. Um, so what what influences you? So there's you know psychological psychologists might say it, consequence has a high high factor of influence. You know when we can see the consequence, you know like we we uh, we might change our behavior. But when we talk about defining leadership, that that's really hard, Kate, because there's such a wide range of leadership. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, like I'm an EMS too because I'm a paramedic, and a lot of the fire companies run in kind of a military operation, kind of pseudo military. It's a command and control, and they have captains and titles, and everybody's and these people are in charge. And it's interesting, I think, in the utility business we kind of adopted some of that for a number of years where we have we have ranking officers foremen journeymen everybody has a, a title so 
you you fall somewhere in a category in a rank, um, the risk to that is you, you end up in sometimes in a silo. You know, I'm the journeyman, you're the groundman. You know, you do your job, I'll do mine. But they're so interconnected, right? That if you separate yourself in your mind, you're not really paying attention to the other guy. And that's the thing I've mentioned before when I'm investigating accidents. You know, the, the journeyman comes down, he sets the bucket down on the head of the uh, of the other groundman because he doesn't see them there, or cuts the top of the pole off, and it lands on the guy underneath him because they're not connected. Right. So, so command and control is one type. I mean, there's leader follower. I, that's I mentioned before too that that was a lot of what I did. That we my, some of my foremen in the utility had thirty and forty years, so they've done everything. They were the leader. They've seen everything. They always had the answer. Uh, that generation's gone, and now sometimes the whole crew has a total combined time of ten or fifteen years. Before we had a we had a designated leader, and again, of course, there's servant leadership, which um, you know, that to some people that sounds kind of fuzzy weak. and fluffy, weak, yeah. fuzzy and fluffy. Yeah. But the reality is that's a recognition that if I'm in charge, the success of this operation is dependent on everybody involved. And I remember when I for nine years I ran a line garage, and the first thing I told the ten linemen that were in my small territory. Well, it's a large territory is 100 miles across, but small garage. Um, I told him, I said, look, I said, I am now not a lineman anymore. I'm, I'm in charge of this. I said, but that means I am the only unproductive piece of this operation. I don't make any money for this company. You do. So in order for me to be successful, I have to give you whatever you need for equipment and time and, and uh, expertise to accomplish the job, you know, in a timely manner and safely. So in a sense, I may be the leader, but I work for you because I'm not successful unless you are. Um, that's how I view servant leadership, right? Because that's, if I'm going to define it, that's where, I, I, when, it, when, the, when it comes down to it, I'm going to make the decision, but I need them to help me make the decision. But if they can't make one, I will make one. Yes. And, and whether they may not like it, um, um, but that's, I prefer they come up with what works for them. And because it might work for me, doesn't mean it's, it's, that's right for them. And I would tell them that often that, you know, I got 20 years as a lineman and I, I might want to do this job a different way, but I'm not doing it. You are. And you need to tell me what you need to do it the way you want to do it. Mm-hmm. If you want my help to try a different way, you know, that's the next type of leadership. That's test and learn. So test and learn requires a psychologically safe environment where it's okay to contribute it's okay to challenge the status quo, and it's okay to worry about being wrong as long as you are prepared to fail safely, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to try something new, you guys. All right, this is good, but let's set up the boundaries so if something starts to go wrong, it doesn't hurt anybody or we don't hurt any equipment. So those are just four types of leadership. But the object is to influence people to work at their highest potential, I think. Uh, so if you wanted to, is that sound reasonable for a simple explanation? Yes, it sounds reasonable. And I just kind of wanted to mention one of the things that we mentioned in a previous podcast, which is that, you know, there are all these different types of leadership um, and probably some of the best leaders know how to kind of switch from one to the other, depending on what the situation calls for. There are going to be situations where it probably does need to be command and control um, because everything's moving very quickly. There's, uh, you know, maybe people injured or some kind of emergency going on. Um, and so you want somebody that might be just calling out directions to people to get things where they need to be. 
But then, you know, when things are calmer and maybe you're at a job site, maybe that's where, um, you know, like a servant leadership or something like that would come into play. And just knowing, um, having that, I think, emotional intelligence to know when you should be doing which one is is, is important. So, it, so I like that. It, uh, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because they're, you know, teaching and leadership are very similar. And there's, there's five teaching styles. There's a lot of teaching styles, but command, task, reciprocal arrangement, competitive discovery, and problem solving are five different types of teaching. So they're also five different t- ways of leading, right? A reciprocal arrangement is where you're bouncing things off each other. Uh, task is obvious. Command is obvious. But, but what's also interesting is the illusion that, uh, so I'll step into the back of an amb- ambulance, very, very severely injured patient, too many people in the ambulance, a lot of noise, a lot of chaos. Now I can go in and say, I'm in charge. Um, but I already know that I'm in charge because I'm the highest level now in the back of the ambulance. So am I saying that for me or for them? I'm not sure. So what I did, I changed my tactic. However, over the 23 years that I've been flying on that helicopter, I'll get in the back of a chaos. And I, I because of the, the northern area of the state and the territory, I know a lot of people. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll know somebody in the back of the ambulance. And I'll walk in and I'll change my tone. Over all that noise, I'll say, hi, Jerry, how are you doing today? How are we doing? In a calm voice. And it creates, it's a dichotomy to what's happening. Everybody hears it. Because it doesn't, it doesn't vibrate at the same tone. So it's like, what, what was that? And everything gets quiet, you know. And then, I, then I can start asking questions. Like, so where are we? You know, how's, you know, how, how's our, our airway secure? You know, you know, what's, what's the, what's the breathing rate? What's, what are the lungs sound like? What's the blood pressure? What's the pulse rate? What's the oxygen saturation? And, and rather than say I'm in charge, um, I just, I try to involve the group to enlist them at what they know. Um. So, so to your point, yeah, there are some times where, look, you've got to say time out, you know, let's, 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 let's pause for a minute because we're out of control. <laughs> you know what I mean? So somebody has to be in that leader has to be there, but there are other ways. If that, if you're a one trick pony and that's the only trick you have, um, it's not going to always work. So you need to be, be willing to be vulnerable enough. I think if you listen to Brene Brown, she has a lot of podcasts on courage and I like how she associates courage with vulnerability yes there is no courage without vulnerability so so if you come in strong and i've worked for a foreman like this um unfortunately that they were one trick pony and their only trick was command you will do this how come it's so slow you need to move faster when i speak you move in with that type of behavior and and, and i even heard of uh, a journeyman who just just topped out talking to a new apprentice said look at these guys are going to yell at you that's how you learn. You just need to keep your mouth shut and listen. So that's an illusion because the studies are done, Kate. The louder you yell at somebody doesn't mean they get the information better. No. And it makes people, I mean, maybe not everyone, but like someone like myself, the more someone yells at me, the less likely I am to be able to perform well um, because I can't think, I can't focus. Um, my nervous system is all janky because someone's screaming at me. Um, and I, you know, I think leaders probably need to be, again, emotionally intelligent enough to know that not everybody functions in the same way. So screaming at people in general doesn't work, but certainly different types of personalities take it differently. So, so absolutely. So you're talking about cognitive load. So 
if you want somebody to operate at their highest level, you don't want to tie their brain up uh, with being either upset or, or or tense or something like that. It, and and you know, there's a, there, there's all these little memes and things if you go online. But there's there's uh, you know when your most vocal worker becomes silent, that's not good. So if you're a leader that doesn't recognize that you just silenced your worker, you need to be vulnerable and say, hey, dude, is that, you're awfully quiet. What happened? Did I just do that? I mean, that's that's where we start to engage at a higher cognitive level. I Honestly, Kate, if, if leadership, I, I think we need to keep doing what we're doing, make smarter utility workers, better understanding of grounding, better electrically under, but, but making them smarter doesn't do anything if we don't also include teaching them how to engage with each other. Mm-hmm. And the, to me, that's where the illusion is starting to happen. We have leaders that think think that because they come in and they bark a bunch of orders and they're in charge, you know, it's not their fault either. Some of these guys, I know one foreman after top, driven tops out after 17 days, and now he's a foreman because his boss is off on a storm. Yeah. I mean, 17 days, we didn't give him any skills. You know, he just barely topped out and now we automatically give him a title. Mm-hmm. And he's just operating on what his his belief is on what that title is supposed to do. We don't give him the parameters. So so I think what we need to do is today is make people aware that when you're if you're a leader, you you're gonna influence somebody whether you say anything or not. And and how you say it may determine the level of, or the capacity that person will reach. Because if if you are at capacity right now because you're ruminating about how afraid you are or how angry you are. Um, you have limited the ability of the people that work around you to function at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe that is this a good segue into kind of talking about um, coping skills? Like how do we how do we handle ourselves on the job site? Um, like let's say we have a boss who screams at us all the time. Um, you know, they're obviously having an influence but it it's not necessarily the right kind of influence. And I think what happens is um, just like what would happen in your personal life if you're going through something, you're struggling with somebody in your life, uh, we don't always have the healthiest coping skills. Um, and that's probably something that needs to be addressed on our on our work sites and, and just in our offices and, and everywhere really uh, work related. So 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 yeah, I. Um... Coping skills is huge. I talked about this in Pennsylvania with some linemen. And later I had an apprentice come up to me and he said, you know, he says, my form was calling me idiot and all these things. And I had to go up and jump her out, jump her about a set of bells uh, and then cut cut the loop. Mm-hmm. And he says, and I was got in the bucket and I was so distracted from the ruminating in my head, I cut the loop before I put the jumper on. Luckily it didn't flash burn him because it wasn't a lot of load. But the, do you think the... Foreman recognized that he did that to that person. I, I don't know. You know, uh, it needs to be. It, it, we 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 in order to cope, we need to make it transparent. So, wouldn't it have been great if the if the apprentice said, "Well, look at I get, let, give me a minute because you're in my head. You're calling me a lot of names. I need to go up in the primary, and I'm pretty new at this. So, let me just walk through what I'm going to do one more time to get the pattern right, so I don't make a mistake. Because right now you're in my head, and I don't want you there. You know what I mean? Imagine if we created a conversation like that. Um, I. Well, and that was a real situation in Pennsylvania. I mean, it was the guy came up on his own just to tell me the story, and then we we shared the story with the group. But the, the, if you go to the world statistics, 
the, the fatality statistics. Um, it's online. I mean, there's more, we have more information available to us at our fingertips than we ever had. But they talk about the, uh, the highest causes of death in the ages of 24 to 44. And I thought so I've talked about this with you. Um, but if I were to ask, I mean, we know teenagers now in our country, it's, it's guns um, yep. because of the school shootings. But when you start getting to work, and, and let's back up a little bit. You know, we talk about that younger generation. Let's talk about their coping skills. So I, I, I was part of the Cold War. We had to hide under our desk and do air raid drills. Mm-hmm. There weren't air raids happening. It, we just did the drill. We, we did fire drills, right? You probably did fire drills in school. There wasn't a fire. You just did the drill. Well, now these kids are doing active shooter drills. And then they turn on the news and there are active shootings all over our country. So so the drills are far more real and far more traumatizing. And some of them are actually going a little step too far. They're pounding on the doors and acting like there was actually an active shooter. And they're causing some tr- psychological trauma to our, these younger generations. And that's, I think, why we're seeing them start to get together on TikTok and start to get marched together, realizing that their only survival chances if they learn how to connect. Right. So to me, that's a good thing. Um, they're, they're a bright generation. And when they learn how to connect, they're going to have more power um, to help create create the world they want to live in. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's kind of where we are. You know, I mean, I'm going to collect social security because the generation before me set it up yeah. on, and I'm working to pay for the next generation. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, that, so that we kind of, I think there was that, that quote it's a proverb, Greek proverb. Um, a society grows great when old men and old women plant trees in which whose shade they, they will never sit. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. And I added gender because when it was written back, they didn't add women, but because, but I think women plant trees too. Sorry. Yeah. I- but so, so that's kind of what our job is, is, you know, we need to create a world that we may never live in. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to look past the end of your nose sometimes because we're so wrapped up in our own thing. Well, it is. And I think, you know, we're, everyone is influencing this younger generation too, whether we know it or not. It's like we talk about influence. It's like children are always looking up to adults. Like, what are the adults doing? And now, because of the internet, um, they have access to see so many more adults doing so many more things. And are we being a good example or, you know, could we stand to improve a little bit? So, so I'm at, this may be a stretch for some people, but the, the leading cause of death between the age of 24 and 44 is accidental poison. They actually have drug overdose in another category. That's when it's a known overdose. But accidental poisoning is usually alcohol, drugs, or chemicals that uh, they take um, mm-hmm. and it kills them. Um, and then the second leading cause of death is suicide. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try this. Some people might have trouble with this stretch, but we spend most of our waking hours in our lifetime of age 24 to 44 at work, Yes. right? You get out of bed, you know, you, you eat, you go to work, you come home, you eat, you go to sleep. And at some point in there, you have a little bit of life, mm-hmm. right? And you take vacations, you work your butt off, and then you take a vacation to, 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 for the, the, for the spoils of your rewards, right? So, so. So if, if we think about this, if most of our waking hours are spent at work and we don't, and our coping skills aren't good, when we have a bad day at work, what do we do when we get home? We try to erase work. Some people are good at it and some people aren't, you know, and, and we like to think, well, it's not going to happen to me. I'm just going to have a few drinks, you mm-hmm. know, or, 
you know, or I'm just going to smoke a little weed, or I'm going to take a little of this. And, and uh, our body really likes that separation from the stress. So it becomes easier and easier to do. Mm -hmm. So to me, whether it's suicide or, or accidental poisoning or drug overdose, it's, a, it's, it's an inability to cope with whatever it is that's going on in your life. Because otherwise, your life would be so good, you wouldn't need to cope. Mm -hmm. So if I would bring this to work, if you're in a toxic work situation, how can, who, who is in control of changing that? And to me, that's leadership. Yes. Right. Leadership needs to recognize that it's toxic. Um, but instead, often, well, that crew gets a lot of work done. Just leave them alone. You know, nothing's happened there, right? The fact that nothing's happened is not evidence that everything's going well. Right. Right. But the, the Titanic was doing it. <laughs> Captain was really, really good at it until he had crashed. Right. So, Bill, <laughs> don't don't make me laugh. <laughs> Sorry. So, so, but, but that's it. You know, although the that crew's doing great, they're getting a lot of work done. There's not a problem there. There's not a problem yet. Right. But, but it's almost predictable. Uh, there was, there was a couple of times where I saw things and two years later, there were some serious injuries on those crews. Uh, and it wasn't, that wasn't coincidence. And I, uh, you know, I, I like to think I've got really good coping skills. I, I, uh, 23 years of seeing people's worst nightmares um, on a regular basis, flying on a helicopter, ambulances, ran an ambulance company for five years after separated from a fire company. Um, we created a really healthy culture there. Uh, went from 19 volunteers to 72 within a year and a half, um, all based on on steering a culture, based on Peter Drucker culture, eat strategy for breakfast. Because yes. right? we, we can have the best strategy, the best foreman, and the most the smartest linemen but if we don't have a culture where they can connect and, and implement it, um, bad things happen. Um, so I, I guess, I don't know if it's fair. If I, this is going to be kind of personal if I tell this story, Kate. Um, but I think personal gonna... personal is good. Bye. So so I, I, I worked 34 years for an electric utility. So uh, the difference between a contractor lineman and a utility lineman is contractor lineman doesn't get to root. They go wherever the work is. Um, and so to me, it's a harder job because they're, they end up in systems they don't know. I work in a utility where eventually, you know, they, they say, Hey, there's a wire down over on, on, on uh, second street. Oh yeah. That's behind at May's house. You know I mean? I know, I know every circuit. I know where everything is because I'm, I'm, I'm there all the time. I also know the people I'm working with, they're not transient moving in and out. So I, as a lineman that to me, I liked that. But I also really respect the the uh, ability of the contractors to adapt and to to every new system, you know. Um, and some of the problems we have is their ability to adapt, an ability to recognize that well, this is a delta, not a wide. I haven't worked a lot of delta, and it has to be safe for them to ask the questions about a delta if they don't know. And sometimes we expect them. It's kind of like you get a, a an apprentice with a CDL license. Okay, you got the license, you're qualified. Doesn't mean he's good at it, mm -hmm. you know. And now you see a guy in Florida now coming up to the northern area where all the mountains are, and then they wreck the truck because they're not used to it. Because the first thing the guy do is, okay, go go take that load of poles to the job. You've got a CDL. You, you're good for it. Well, that that's, may or may not be true. So the other thing about utilities, so I, I bid into a small garage, only two crews, two two-man crews in a northern area of New York State. And uh, it was uh, it was beautiful up there. I mean, mountainous, a lot of rear lot stuff. We did a lot of climbing. When I bid the job, there was two foremen there, and I bid it a job with one foreman 
um, because there was a, the lineman vacancy was on that truck. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I walked in the door, the lineman on the other truck said, hey, dude, what? Said, uh, congratulations for getting to the garage. You bid the garage. You didn't bid the truck. He says, I have garage seniority on you. So I am bumping you off that other guy's truck and you're going to be on my truck. On my, this other form. Okay. So he was stuck on that other line with that foreman for seven years. And the guy was a lunatic. Um, and I ended up on his truck for nine years. Um, so right off it started, I got bumped off the truck that I did. So in a utility, that's, I just, I sucked it up. Okay. But the guy, the guy was unstable. He, you know, I, he went through two divorces while I worked for him. He'd been married four times by the last one. I saw pictures of, of his wives that he beat up. Um, <laughs> he was, he was a lunatic, uh, and he, and he would throw tantrums and he was, you know, one day he's climbing down a pole and he, uh, so he's, he's climbing a pole, leaning over the bottom phase with no rubber. And I'm hollering at him. You need rubber. And he, he just, he just swear at me. I'm in charge. And that's the other piece that I meant to mention, just not, not to make it too confusing here. But when we get into a situation where you say I'm in charge, mm -hmm. that's because you feel like your authority is threatened. And as a medical person, I'll hear people in the hospital. I'm the nurse. I'm the doctor, I'm the paramedic, I'm the foreman, I'm the lineman, I'm the journeyman. When you hear that, that's a sign that for some reason they feel their authority is threatened and they need to tell you. Mm -hmm. It would be really good if the people in authority and leadership would recognize that and instead of telling them you're in charge, reaffirm it with everybody else. So look at you guys, I'm feeling like uh, I'm losing control of the situation. Um, Ultimately, I have to make the decision. Yeah, that's different than I'm in charge. Yeah, um, but they don't. They they fall right to that. So this foreman was really good at that, always being in charge and always yelling. So I, I went. I actually signed up for the employee assistance program for therapy because I was going home all stressed out, and I actually started drinking a little bit at home. And my wife didn't drink, so I never never drank at home, um, hardly ever. And then when she noticed that, so I started going to the employee assistance program. And and I even, I even had meetings with this union steward, and um, and the union president, and I talked to management about, you know, this uh, this is a and nothing changed. We talked about learned helplessness a while back. I was there, no matter what I talked to or what I did, nothing changed because we get a lot of work done. I I love to work. I spent almost all the time either climbing poles or in the bucket. He drove almost all the time, and of course he was the world's best driver because he owns, his father owned a sawmill and he also drove uh, semis, moving sawdust around all the time. Yeah. So uh, he thought he was the world's best driver. Uh, we went down one hill once coming to a power outage and the fire department was hosing the fire down. And when we rolled in, our tires, our dualies were smoking so bad, they hosed down our tires because they thought our the wheels were going to burst into flames because he had been riding the brakes and cornering so hard. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, that if you're in that truck, that's a pretty stressful deal. Yeah. So... So uh, uh, we talked about coping skills and how if your work is stressful, you need to learn how to cope with it. And I I couldn't find any way to cope with it. So I finally came up with a solution. Um, I carried a bottle of scotch in my rubber glove bag. And every day I would drink a few times a day when I started feeling stressed just to take the stress, to just take the edge off. Now, the guys knew I had it in there. Mm -hmm. I think even the bosses knew that, it, I mean, how can you not know, right? Yeah. And I, I, so I, I got pretty good at drinking scotch, which was a mistake because going from beer to scotch, you know, it's you a know, leap. Yeah. Liquor's quicker, just saying. So, so 
So uh, I realized that this this was a bad thing, and I started actually. Um, if I I tried not drinking for a while, I would shake. But sometimes we would frame poles on the ground because we had mm-hmm. a digger, and uh, I'd drill the holes and I'd be putting the ball. And one day, my wrench was shaking so hard, it my it shook right out of my hand because because I had stopped drinking for like a a week. Mm-hmm. So I I just started again. Um, but I'm not proud of that, and I'm not telling anybody to. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. I just want you to recognize that I kind of thought I was a normal dude, and I would never do that. And here I am on a truck with a bottle of scotch in my glove bag, drinking three times a day, 10, noon, and two, to make it through the day. And then often I didn't work the overtime if it was with him. If it was with the other foreman I'd work or the other lineman I'd work. And he used to yell at me, what do you mean you won't work with me? And I said, absolutely, eight hours is enough with you. You know, He's the same guy after his fourth divorce. You know, we're, Of course, he drank too, and we're having a few drinks, and he's, he says... Uh, I don't know what's wrong, what's wrong with all those women, Billy. And I'm like, dude, you know, next time you go in the bathroom, look in the mirror. I think there's one common denominator, you know? I mean, and then he go throw his heart on the ground and yell at me. And, and it, there's other things It got worse. It got, you know, it almost came to, to blows several times. Um, uh, there, there was one time actually, uh, he jimmied the jack so I could try to reach something that it was right out of my reach. But instead of jimmying the jack on the truck, by that, I mean, when you jimmy the jack, you're at full extension in the bucket. If you get just a little bit more reach, you can reach it. Well, he lifted the jack six inches off the ground and the bucket dropped at a, and I watched the wire go by me at hundred miles an hour and I'm bobbing up and down, almost getting thrown out of the bucket. So now I can't move the bucket because the hydraulics are, are shut down because the jack's off the ground. And, and I lost, it. I just said, look, put that jack down because I'm going to come down. He says, and he's yelling at me. I said, you're yelling at me. Just put the jack down. I said, I said, and then I'm going to come down. I'm going to kick your butt, you know? And we got face to face. I mean, this is real. I'm, I, I, I might be telling more, and you might have to edit some of this. We, I got, I just face. I said, "Look, do me a favor. You hit me as hard as you can, and pray I don't get up." Mm-hmm. He says, "Why?" And I'll leave out the expletives for you. Um, I said, "Because if I get back up, I'm going to kill you." And he looks at me. He says, "I'm too much of a man to do that." Oh goodness! <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just trying to paint a picture of how bad it had gotten. So, let's go back to leadership influence. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of work done. Let's leave them alone. In my mind, it, even the EAP couldn't do anything about the situation. They can only help me. And I, 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 whatever I did didn't work, so I, I started drinking. Luckily, towards the end, I ended up with a brain tumor. An acoustic neuroma grows on your eighth nerve, which is your hearing nerve. It was five centimeters, about the size of a lemon in my head. And uh, oh. I ended up with 20 hours of surgery at Yale. And when I woke up, I, I never drank again. And just like the pandemic, we found out from a pandemic, we can work at home. Mm-hmm. Why did it took a pandemic to figure that out? I don't know. But why did it take a brain tumor for me to figure out that I was in charge of deciding whether I drank? Not that guy. Well, so did you go back to work? Like after you had your surgery, did you go back to that place? Four months. Yeah. Four months. Back to work. Okay. But when I went back, I didn't drink because I realized I was letting him in my head. He, I was like a puppet. And he was pulling the strings. He was, he liked to drink. He was the one pulling the strings. He thought it was cool. I was carrying a bottle of scotch in my glove bag. And 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 uh, and that was what I came to the realization. It, it was, it, honestly, Kate, it, it would have killed me. Um, and I would have been one of those statistics between 24 and 44. Because mm-hmm. either that, you know, it's interesting. If you look older than 44, some of the people die of liver failure. Because yeah. the alcohol didn't kill them at 44, but their liver did. Yeah. So- so I, I, you know, I don't know if we can share this story if you guys have edited it or not, but the, the reality is I know there's people out there going through this 
on their crews where they get a lot of work done and they deal with a toxic leader, a toxic foreman, sometimes a toxic supervisor who comes in. The only reason they show up is either to yell at you or to give you more work. They don't come in to tell you you're doing a good job. They don't come in to discuss how you, you know, what do you think about the job? There's so little control in the utility industry over the job that was planned for you to do. And these linemen, I mean, they got PhDs in the work they do for the number of years they have. As soon as they open the print, they say, why are we doing it this way? Because it's so stupid. Mm -hmm. Because because the guy with his master's in design engineering doesn't have a PhD in doing the work. But they never even consult these guys, right? I When I ran the garage for nine years in Saranac Lake, I had the planners come and take the foreman with them for the bigger jobs, walk the job with the foreman. When the foreman opened the print, they saw their input into the job. Mm -hmm. And it went really well. You know, yeah. it seems so basic. But when we separate in silos, uh, leadership creates that environment. Well, yeah, I sort of want to jump in. And, you know, we've talked a lot about um, the wrong way to do things. Can we talk about some, you know, maybe some tactical kind of things or things that leadership can do to... Um, help make the environment better. I mean, they can't know, they don't know everything and they don't know every instance of issues between, um, you know, foremen and crews and things like that. Um, but are there ways to help develop their skills so that these kinds of things don't keep happening? You, you know, my favorite saying, you got to plant corn to get corn. That's right. That's right. So, <laughs> so if a leader does models, the behavior they want to see, that's the one they'll see, right? Mm -hmm. So, so and, and and to some extent, we can read, we have muscles in our faces to move skin over bone on our face because we read expressions really well. Yeah. So you could, I can come up on a crew and I can tell if a crew is tense or not. I can tell if somebody's quiet or loud. I, I can tell by their mannerisms. It's just like if you're close to somebody in your home, as soon as they walk in the door, you say, what's wrong? Did you have a bad day? They don't need to speak. So- Leaders may not know their crew completely, but they know themselves. So we have, you know, I, I think I've talked about the amygdala hijack. Yeah. Right. So, so we get hijacked because these two little spots in our brain that release cortisol do all these things that make us react, you know, less so we don't get eaten by the lion. Um, also make us respond in ways we may not be prepared to respond. We just react. So a leader can decide whether they want to react or they want to respond with with, with their choice. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a situation where somebody says, look at this job is stupid. Um, what the leader has to do is learn how to not go into an immense, immediate amygdala defense. What do you mean this is stupid? You know, this is the job. This is what you'll do. That's, that's a reaction. What if the leader could take five seconds? This, so this is a, this is a tactic. When you feel the trigger, you count five, four, three, two, one in your head. Mm -hmm. And then what you don't do is answer. You seek more information. Yeah, be curious. You'd be curious and interested. So I'm a leader. So here's my tactic. So look at you're, you're saying this is stupid. Lay that out for me. Tell me more about why you think this is stupid. I mean, that to me, that that's very difficult to do mm -hmm. because the leader who feels they're in charge feels like they're being threatened. Sometimes you're the one who decides if you're being threatened. I, you know, it took me, took me a brain tumor to, to learn it. Right. But it was up to me to decide how to respond to that, not let that person create a response in me. So 
So to me, it's it's the we you, and we all know ourselves well enough to know when we're feeling triggered. We get that uncomfortable feel the, that, that like I've been threatened, my my authority is being threatened, and sometimes linemen are pretty tough, right? I mean, they can and utility workers they can be just downright cruel. I think it's good for a leader to acknowledge that. Say, look, that felt pretty cruel to me, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it wants to trigger me, but I need to know what's driving that in you? What's making you be that mean to me? What is it? Is, is, so is that too hard, Kate? I mean, I, I know it's difficult, but to me that it, I've been practicing with this and I still suck at it, but there's sometimes when I actually elicit more, elicit more information, it changes the whole tone of the conversation. I think it's, I mean, and this is just my opinion, obviously, but I almost wonder if it shouldn't be like a part of training because, um, you know, depending on how you grew up, where you come from, the the things that have happened in your life, like not everybody necessarily has these kind of skills that you're talking about. Um, and a lot of us end up in therapy to learn these kind of skills. But like, what if they could be taught some way in the way that we're, we're training people? Um, and even when we're doing like human performance kind of training or things like that, it's like, hey, can we learn how to talk to each other civilly, ask questions, figure out how to not be so defensive um, when we think that, you know, somebody is not agreeing with us or, you know, doesn't like what we have to say. Um, it, are, like, are those kind of things possible? What do you think? So I think, I, again, you know, I think you're very intuitive and, and you're, you're spot on. I, you, you've been through a lot of things, so you know yourself better than most people know themselves. But so what, what we think, we think we can sit people down and teach them the uh, human organization performance uh, principles, mm-hmm. but, but that's not the way we really learn in these situations because when we're triggered, it, it, that isn't a something I'm going to go reference a textbook or what I learned in my therapy. Okay. What do I do now? <laughs> we, we have to, we have to react in real time. Yeah. So, so in order to react in real time, um, it's called experiential learning, Right. We need to do learning where you experience something so you learn how to react. Um, you know, I mean, it's not unusual for a paramedic to go through all kinds of scenarios and with simulators and simula- mannequins to simulate all kinds of different injuries to learn how to treat them. Mm-hmm. Or a doctor, right? Um, or teachers that have to teach uh, fake classes to see, to, to prepare for how to become a teacher. But we don't do this with apprentices. I mean, what if we did role-playing with apprentices on how to handle, how to respond, so you're not triggered and so you're not just shut down, right? Mm-hmm. And then, in order for that to happen, it has to be psychologically safe, and the organization, the union, has to make it safe for them. If it doesn't work for them to have a place to go to talk to these people, right? Because right now the journeyman is signing the books of the apprentice, so you're in a position where you, the apprentice tell me they say, "Leah, I just keep my mouth shut till I'm a journeyman because I, I need that guy to sign my books so I can top out." Yeah. Right? So there's a whole bunch of things, but what if we started doing um, role playing, where we started looking at situations that can happen? And and I think we've talked about this. That's uh, the the um, mental preparedness, right? If or mental simulations. Yep. We start simulating for the event that could happen. We start to be more prepared for it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we do it naturally. If if you know if you're going to drive to Florida and you live in the northern states and you're going on vacation. You don't just hop in your car and go. You mentally prepare for it and you check your oil. You look at your tires. 
you pack your bags, you call ahead for your for your hotel or whatever. You mentally prepare ahead of time. So we do that naturally, but some somehow in the industry, this is the plan, this is what we're doing. Somebody reads it to you on a job brief, go. And sometimes I think we need a one more step where we meant to mentally think about how that how the whole interaction occurs. So what what if an apprenticeship you say, all right, let's you're today you're gonna role play the role of the toxic farming. Shut up, kid. Just shut up and listen. You're doing this today. I want you to climb that pole. But the kid says, yeah, but I'm concerned about that pole. There's a rotten spot on it. Don't be such a wimp, right? So I, I, I've been in that situation when I was a journeyman. I, three times I'm told to go up and open up a regulator. And three times there was no green light on the regulator. People who are listening will know what I mean by that. So I said, look, there's the light's not working. He said, yeah, it's fine. It's, I know it's a neutral. I counted the steps. I just got down to the bucket and I get out of the bucket. And the foreman three times said, you're refusing to do work? I said, no, no. I just, if you're that sure, I think you should get in the bucket and you should go open it. Yeah. Three times they wouldn't do it. Really? Yes. So that's what I'm telling you. People are really comfortable telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. But if you are strong enough to be not yell, not scream, but call them out for it, then if they're if they're if if it's they're right, then go ahead, you do it. Show me how that works. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. But three times we actually found if we we killed this, we called ahead and killed the circuit in order to switch the regulator out because we it we couldn't cover all the bases to make sure it was a neutral. And I don't know if you know anything about regulators, but the closer you are to the shorter step out you are, the bigger the. Well, I've watched them burn wires down before, so it's it's a pretty big deal to open a, a regulator out of step. So. But those are just examples. There was other examples. Um, I, I, my foreman should have been, he, he, I don't know what it is. He was so mean. He just couldn't die. Um, he, 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 yeah, uh, <laughs> we showed up with a, there's a 115 line ran parallel with a 34, five line. And then the 34, five tapped off to go to a, um, a dam and a hydro. So that was two sections of that 34, five was down in three foot of snow and beautiful claims. It was very pretty. So we killed the 34, five. And when we got there, they had grounded it at the pole two sections back. And the two, three sections ahead, there's a switch open. So it's an open switch going down to the hydro, and it's grounded three sections back. So I get out of the truck, and I put on my rubber gloves, and the form looks at me and says, what are you doing with those rubber gloves on? You don't need them. It's grounded. And I looked at the foreman, and, and I said, well, I said, tell you what. I said, you can tell me if I'm not safe enough, but if I want to be more safe, I think that's up to me. He said, well, you don't need the gloves. I said, well, I wouldn't if it was grounded correctly, but it's not. He says, yeah, it is. I said, well, that's the difference of opinion. I'll just wear my gloves. So it was old number four bare copper, and it was two sections. They, we decided they'd pull it together on the ground, tie it down, and then lift it up uh, on the pole so we didn't have to climb. So he's got wet leather gloves. He kneels in the snow. He grabs the phase coming from the open switch, the grounded side. He grabs the phase that goes to the open switch on the hydro, and he screams, ah! And of course, you know what it, and he drops the wire. And of course, you know what a lineman does when that happens? They try to do because they can't believe it happened. So he tries it again, screams, drops the wire, and, and he looks at me and says, hey, can you put this together? You got your gloves on. And I put the wire together with my rubber gloves on. Yeah. The, the, the primary on the right was grounded, but it ran parallel uh, with a 115 line. So it was getting induction. It's, it's not grounded at the point of work. It's only grounded at the pole two sections away. The mm-hmm. wire to the left is just a bare wire laying on the ground going to an open switch. There's a huge difference in potential between those two wires. 
So I went back and asked my leadership for a grounding school. I didn't turn anybody in. Yeah. And we got a grounding school five years later. Jesus. Wow. So, okay. So if you're a leader and you have, and your crew, somebody asked you for a grounding school because something bad happened and you don't do anything about it for five years, what message does that send? Yeah. So silence is a message, right? It means you don't give a crap. And honestly, that learned helplessness, uh, is that podcast four? Um, learned helplessness? I think so, three or four. But if somebody wants to go back and listen to podcast four to learn about learned helplessness, if, if the, you become learned helpless, when no matter what you tell your boss, he doesn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You learn that I'm not going to tell him anything anymore because it doesn't matter. I'm just going to get it done, right? And then that wears off because if you're if you're learning from your boss and you show up on a job, you're taking a camp road into the wire down and it's cold out and I can't quite see the fuse pole, but it looks like it's open. So I get my binoculars and I look through the woods. Yep, looks like it's open. Let's go to work. Too cold. Let's not ground it. Let's go to work. You decide to take all those risks and nobody questions you because they've learned that it doesn't do any good to question you until somebody dies. Then all of a sudden, well, how could that happen? Well, it happened because the leader created the dynamic that the foreman adopted that killed the guy. Mm-hmm. But very seldom does it ever go that far back. In a, in a, in a, you know, you usually want to blame somebody. So yeah. in, a, in a taproot analysis, it doesn't go far enough back because the leadership have, have difficulty looking in the mirror, recognizing that they created the dynamic that exists. So my alcohol problem was was I could blame the foreman, but that they allowed that toxic foreman to continue that behavior. You, I mean, the guy before me complained, he was with him for seven years. Mm-hmm. He was so relieved to get off his truck. And I lived two more years on his truck than he did. Oh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and the reason, so that's the bad thing about the utility. When there's a slowdown in utility, you, there's it's a post and bid by seniority. And if there's no movement, you're stuck where you are. Uh, so my only other option was to quit and go with the contractors, but you know, I had nine apartments also that I was running and maintaining where I lived. I couldn't really travel. Gotcha. Well, so I feel like we haven't talked about everything that we want to talk about on this topic. Um, and I'm curious if you would want to do another session with me kind of continuing on this and some of the other things that we haven't touched on. How do you feel about that? I, I, yeah, I, I think we've gone quite a while here. I, I, I think, I think we need to help teach people tactics, right? Like, like I think to summarize, and I would love people to try this. Everybody knows when they're triggered. You don't have to, I don't have to tell you when you're triggered, right? Yeah. If you could try a different tactic. So what happens if, if you continue what you've been doing, you're not moving into the future. You're just recreating the past every day. And, you know, Einstein doing the same thing over and over um, doesn't produce a different result, right? It, 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 that's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. So, mm-hmm. so if you're a leader and you're vulnerable, can be vulnerable enough and courageous enough to try a different tactic, just try it. You feel that, that, that trigger count five, four, three, two, one. And instead of doing a narrative about why you're right, ask another question. Yeah. One question. What, what is it that's driving you to, you know, to, to, to treat me this way, you know, Get to the root of that of that cause. So, that, so that's one, right? And I think I think we could go on with this uh, and try to talk a little bit more about servant leadership and how this this works because it's this is not soft. This is no. hard to do. If it was it's very easy, difficult, 
yeah. And, and it's not anything anybody's doing in our industry, which I give you credit to even to bring it up. It's painful. Uh, people don't like to confront each other. We don't like it. And then we our coping skills suck, so we go home and drink, right? And sometimes people are drinking on the job because that's the only way they can deal with it. And I learned that for hard way. Yeah. But I, but I, I'm willing to do more if you think we need to do more. Um, I, yes. I think I think the the message here is leadership has influence, but in order to have the influence you want, you need to you need to listen to the people. You need to you have two ears and one mouth. They say right. Yeah. You should listen twice as much as you're talking. So, so you need to listen to the the workforce and did not so much be angry at what they're telling you, but be interested and curious as to why it's come to this. And what role did you have in allowing it to happen? Um, so that's that's where I'm at. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for your time and all your insights. Um, I also want to thank our listeners for spending their valuable time with us. I hope you'll join Bill and I again soon for our next conversation. In the meantime, stay safe and be well. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Utility Business Media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation.